All right. Well, in the name of Jesus, I am going to try and finish what was going to be a four-week series in the book of Nehemiah, which I think this is now our eighth week in the book of Nehemiah. And so we're going to try our best to finish out this book. And at the end of our gathering today, I have some exciting uh, vision to share with you guys in regards to the future of our church together. So go ahead and open up your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. The kind of four-part series to uh, this, uh, you know, series we've called Built for This has been this. Get ready, rise up, dream big, finish strong. Finish strong. And so uh, this is like part two of Finish Strong, and uh, we are looking at uh, just the, the reality of, um, you know, the story of Nehemiah where uh, the people of Israel, I'm a little bit hot on the mic, let's turn the mic down or we're going to be uh, killing some people, there we go. Um, we uh, are, you know, looking at this story of the Israelites after years of being in exile, uh, there's different returns back to the city of Jerusalem. First, the, the temple is rebuilt and then uh, the walls are you know, damaged, torn down. So God speaks to Nehemiah, and as he speaks to Nehemiah, he's cupbearer to the king, and, and then he calls Nehemiah to come into the city. And, and what we've been doing is we've been unpacking this story of the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. Well, when we wrapped up, finished strong, we read in Nehemiah chapter 6 that the walls had been rebuilt. Well, what we're doing now is we're considering this subject of party hard. Um, how many of y'all ever celebrated uh, something being finished? One of the reasons why I love, all my neighbors ask me, I've got some neighbors here, uh, Rob, why do you keep cutting your grass? Um, you've got three boys in your house, why do you keep cutting your grass? It's because for me as a pastor, there's very little that I do where I get to see a finished product, right? So even as I minister to you, I mean, what is a complete finished Christian, if my job is to make disciples and make disciples, what does that look like? Well, I just love being able to sit back and say to my lawn, it is finished, right? There's some satisfaction there. There's some enjoyment there. So I love sitting in my backyard with my grass cut, the weeds pulled, all those different things, and just sitting and enjoying a fire pit. How crazy is it? I mean, this New Orleans boy right here gets to still enjoy a fire pit in June. You don't do that in New Orleans. Every day you're surrounded by a fire pit, right? And so, um, listen, there's something about just enjoying all the things that God has done in and through you, the things that you've accomplished, the things that he has given to you. And so what we're looking at now is we're looking at the people of Israel. After the wall is finished, the exiles begin to return back to Jerusalem. And as we jumped into last week, we considered what the people of Israel did. And uh, Ezra, who's like the priest or the pastor of the people, who has been serving these people for years and years and years, uh, leads the people in the word of God. And so let's do a quick recap of what we considered last week. If you missed last week's message, you can go online. Each and every week we post our sermons on Mondays. Uh, for the summer, we're taking a break from our online worship. And so make sure you stay in touch with us if you've traveled or gone to the beach or whatever else. But what we considered is, first of all, that the people of God locked in. Everybody say lock in. And how did they lock in? They locked in together, and they locked in around. First of all, there was unity. They came together as one man, as it said there in Nehemiah chapter 8. And how did they unite together? They locked in around the Word of God. How powerful was it last week to just end our worship gathering, right, in a similar way in which we read about where the Word of God was read, and then there was worship, there wasn't exactly, you know, guitar or keys playing behind. Y'all know that's like a preacher trick, you know? Like, if I want to sound more spiritual, just pad some keys as I'm talking. I could talk about anything. I could talk about my cereal that I had this morning, right? And it would sound spiritual as long as someone was playing. Well, um, it's not about manipulation or anything. There was just power with the people of Israel as they read the law, as they read the Word of God. 
And some of y'all are like, well, what were they reading? I mean, look, this was Leviticus, right? So they weren't even hanging out in the Psalms or whatever. This is Leviticus, and God compels them and leads them in worship. So lock in. Second thing we talked about was lift up. Everybody say lift up. And so as the people came together after the walls of Jerusalem were rebuilt, um, there was this moment where Ezra preaches the word and we see the people being ready and mobilized to not only hear the word but to go out and teach it and to minister through the word of God into people's lives. And we saw how we are called to lift up the word and we are called to lift up our hands Lift up our hands. Um, I, I love our moments of music worship. And for me, as I shared with you, lifting up our hands is surrender. And so it's when I'm singing, you know, that same God message or you're a good, good father. And, and just a moment of truth hits my heart. The Holy Spirit speaks to me. Boom, my hands go up and surrender to the Lord. Say, Lord Jesus, not only do I affirm what I'm singing, what I'm listening to, but I am yours. I will do whatever you've called me to do. Well, that brings us to our text here today. The third point that I want to share with you, as the people came together to party hard and celebrate all that God had done, they needed to let go. Everybody say, let go. Letting go is hard, isn't it? A little bit of our story, and you're going to hear a little bit about it. I came into this city in fall of 2018, and we worked really hard in this city to start a new work, and God blessed us with this property and, and with another incredible ministry on top of Mount Washington, and we worked really, really hard for about a year and a half, and we officially launched our church. We were here in the first Sunday in January of 2020, and if I can tell you, some of you guys were here, a few of you. We couldn't fit any more people in this room. There were about 350, 400 people in this room for that day. <laughs> um, then this thing called COVID hit. And COVID kind of changed plans in a lot of different ways. And a lot of people that felt called to be a part of this ministry now felt called to go to other ministries. We had two church planning apprentices that were serving under us. We felt in that season because of COVID, it was time for them to go. A lot of people went with them. Some of the people who had been called to come and help us start felt a need to return back home and go to places like New Orleans and Charlotte and Tampa. And very quickly, we found ourselves a little bit smaller. And so we had to go through a whole bunch of different things. Listen, one of the things that I love is that as God has continued to build his church, some of you guys weren't there. Even within my own staff, I uh, heard from Josiah, and Josiah's been here for a while, but three weeks ago we had worship um, on top of Mount Washington at our PGH City location. And I didn't even realize this, but Josiah was like, that was so cool. I was like, what was so cool, Josiah? Worshiping Jesus on top of Mount Washington on Sunday mornings. I'm like, you haven't done that? He was like, no. I'm like, oh, man, I can't believe you've never experienced that. Yes, that is cool. We used to do that a lot. And there is this truth that... Yes, I'm very thankful for all the things that God has done up to this point to bring us to where we are right now. But I can't keep holding on to the past. God is wanting to do something new. Here in this text, we find the people of Israel coming, and uh, they have had quite a ride. Many of them have been slaves, Many of them have been scattered exiles. Um, some have stuck it out in Jerusalem through all of it and now are a little annoyed by all the new people that are coming back into their city. I mean, they had some of their own rhythms. The first thing that we see here in this text is that the people let go. Let's go to verse 9 of chapter 8. It says, And Nehemiah who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, 
This day is holy to the Lord, your God. Do not mourn or weep. Remember, the word of God led the people of God to worship. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord, and do not be grieved. And then here's a powerful, powerful word. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Can't tell you how many times over the last two years in this COVID season, that's been true. Nothing external, nothing that this world has to offer. I know y'all don't believe this, but sometimes pastors are more justified by people in pews than they are by the presence of God. And I found out real quickly in a lot of empty rooms where my joy comes from. And I learned that God is enough for me. Here it says the joy of the Lord is our strength. So the Levites, all the people who are ministering the word, and I'm not going to go back and repeat some of those names that we read last week. The Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went on their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Yes, it's been a rough ride. Yes, we've gone through a lot, but presence of our Lord is here. And in the presence of the Lord, we find joy, and the joy of the Lord is our strength. There's two things that I want to encourage us in in regards to this text, in regards to letting go. Number one, let go of your past. Let go of your past. Um, I'm not telling you to Ignore your heritage, your legacy. I'm not even telling you to forget about your past. I know for me, I'm very thankful for uh, the legacy in my own family and for the generational believers that I have in my own family. As I shared at the Man Up conference with Bolt yesterday, my papa, first one in our Wilton family that ever came to know Jesus in South Africa, and I'm thankful for my papa, right, because uh, before Papa, the Wiltons, they were some sl- slim shadies. I'm just, they, they were really rough people. And praise God, Jesus changed my Papa's life. Who well, I presented, I got Bolt to stand up in front of these men yesterday, and I challenged them to start praying for their great-grandkids. Because of Papa's willingness to surrender to King Jesus, his great-grandson now loves King Jesus. I started begging them to not just pray for their kids, but to pray for their great-grandkids. I'm thankful for that legacy, for that past. I'm also thankful in regards to my past for my dumb tax. What's dumb tax? It's things you've done that are stupid. You had to pay a tax for that. Sometimes the only reason why I know what to do in the present is because in the past I messed up and I know not to do that anymore. Anybody thankful, most of all, in regards to letting go of your past? Anyone thankful for the fact that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation? The old is past, the new has come. Anybody thankful that although you came into this world and you were cute, but you were a cute little sinner, believe it or not, I didn't teach my four kids how to sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And in that sin, some of us have longer stints in that sin, deeper, darker moments in that sin, whatever it is, the moment of salvation, which I pray you've had in your life, a day where you have met King Jesus and you've confessed with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you believed in your heart that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, that moment of salvation, God, so faithfully, Washes that sin away. 
And anyone who is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed. The new has come. If you have never experienced salvation in Jesus, would you trust in Jesus Christ today? Listen, here the people of Israel come to this place and they're encouraged to stop mourning, stop weeping. Yes, these were hard seasons and hard times, but the joy of the Lord is your strength. Eat, drink, enjoy. Now, can we just be real about sometimes the pain in our past? Anyone know that in your mind and in your heart that therefore if anyone is in Christ the, the old is past the new has come I get you but I still have lingering deep wounds in my life because of pain I was talking with a friend in our church this past week and he wouldn't mind me sharing this I'm not going to tell you who I talked with but we talked about the lingering effects of sin and pain and all I said to my friend was this, what an amazing accountability partner you've got. Because you are now, for the rest of your life, always reminded of the consequences and the, the pain of sin. And because of that, that is going to so compel you to dedicate drums in church. Let's get it louder. Preferences can even come in regards to some of the ways in which we engage in religious activities or convictions in regards to how we educate our kids or how we lead our families or whatever else. I want to encourage us as we come into this new day, into this new season, to open up our hands and to cling to God. Not anything of our past, not anything in regards to our presence. In, into our preferences. When I went to London about three weeks ago, I was with a pastor. His name's Nicky Gumbel. He's one of the heads of the Church of England. He's about to retire this year. And uh, man, we were just so curious because when we came to the Church of England in England, I think, I don't know what you think, but I think of robes, high church, liturgy, all this stuff. And I'm telling you, these dudes were rocking it out looking like we do on Sundays. And so we came to Nicky Gumble and we said, what, what, what is going on here? And, and why, why are you doing this? And he started to go to this reality that what they learned about, you know, a decade before is that BBC, which is the big news station or whatever else, did a poll and they found out that about 5% of people in England were listening to classical music. And so they had a decision to make in regards to their news coverage. Are they going to keep beginning and flowing through this classical music or are they going to try and catch up with what people are actually interested in listening to and then this pastor looked at all of us and he said just so that we are honest with each other I hate what we do right now I wish we did the liturgy I wish we did the classical stuff I wish that's my preference but then he looked at us and he goes but when did ministry ever become about our preferences if the BBC is making a decision to reach 95% of the people with their news, who am I to ignore that when I've got the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's not about our preferences. In just a few moments, I'm going to share with us about a vision that I believe God's called us to. And I'm going to be asking for some of us here in this room to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. What does that mean? It might require some inconvenience. It might require some sacrifices. Thankfully, and maybe I'll hear this, Rob, I'm one of your old school vintage church members. I mean, I've been here three years. And I just like where I sit. And I need to sit where I sit. I pray that we'd let go of our preferences. Here in a lot of ways, there was a way of doing things. There was a past, but there was a compelling of people towards the new things that God was going to do now that the people were returning back to Jerusalem. And if I can share this with you, the thing that people were called to let go of was to live in, which is point number four. Y'all write that down. Live in. Everybody say live in. 
live in the law of God, the presence of God. And before I even share with you some X's and O's and some specifics about where I believe God's calling our church, can I tell you, it doesn't matter what I'm about to tell you practically, the aim, the focus of everything that we are compelled to do as a church is to enjoy the presence of God. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And at the heart, this is not about strategies and this and this and X's and O's and all that. It is about enjoying and living in the wonderful presence of God. And for that to not just happen in a building once a week on a Sunday, but for that to be the ebb and flow of your every single day life. We just experienced the presence of God here. Yeah, we can see some amazing things happen in our world. If we experience the amazing presence of God in your home, at work, on the streets, we're going to see this city transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's live in. Two things in regards to living in. Live in his law and live in his love. Let's read verse 13. On the second day, the heads of fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. Okay, just real quickly. On one day, Ezra stands up, preaches the word. They have worship. They're mourning. They're fasting. They have this powerful moment. They're like, no, don't mourn and fast. Party hard. Enjoy the Lord, right? Enjoy your wine. Enjoy your food. Enjoy your portions. Soak it up. God is here. And then what it says there in the text is they have to wait six more days till they do anything else because we only do church once a week on Sunday. It says the next day. <laughs> Such hunger. I'm not just going to do my religious duty once a week. No, the very next day they wake up hungry again for the word. And so here, the very next day, the leaders are studying the words of the Lord. And then I love this. Look at verse 14. It says, and they, not and Ezra, they, they're all participating in something here. Ezra might have first proclaimed the word, but now there's an ownership throughout every single person, all the people. They found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seven months. They're diving into Leviticus, not an easy read. And they start to see that God's word is living and active. And here, as they're seeking the Lord, they discover an amazing truth in the Word of God. I shared this with you before, but that Papa who came to know Jesus, the last week of his life here on this earth, I had to get down to South Carolina, which is where he ended up passing away. And I remember coming into that hospital room, and my sweet granny's there, and, and I come in, I'm like, hey, Papa, I need to get your act together. I booked us a tea time for golf tomorrow. He's like, how many strokes are you going to spot me? And so we laugh a little bit, and he looks at my granny, and he says, Granny, um, will you get my Bible? Gets his Bible, tells me to sit by his side. I've got a picture of this. And this is a man who has been a pastor for 50, 60 years of his life, one of the most brilliant magnificent preachers I've ever heard, been around in my entire life. I'm telling you, he memorized the Bible. And here he was showing me in the book of Romans a new truth that he had discovered the day before. <laughs> here these people are studying the word and they're like, oh, whoa, 
what is this feast of booths? See, we might let go of some things, but there's some things we're never going to let go of. We're going to get to enjoy, and God's promises from Genesis to Revelation are continuously blessing us today. Well, let's talk a little bit about this Feast of Booths. In verse 15, it says in, that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. We found something that we believe is going to be a movement leader for us as a church. The time is now. And so here it says, Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths, as it is written. So the people, they went out, they brought them, they made booths for themselves. So just picture like little tents or little huts or whatever. Each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God. So there was the temple which had already been rebuilt. And now surrounding the temple and spread out throughout the streets are these little booths, little huts, little tents. What are they going to do with these things? It says, and in the square of the water gate and in the square of the gate of Ephraim. Verse 17, and all the assembly of those who had heard, who had returned from the captivity, made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of Yeshua, Joshua, the son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. All right, and, and, and this is what I'm just telling you is resonating within your staff, within your pastors. I love all the crazy new songs that God continues to inspire people to write today, but anybody just love a good old hymn? <laughs> I mean, there's something, right, about listening to a good old hymn, some of the great things. Um, a lot of these hymns weren't written during the time of Nehemiah. So at one point in time, uh, people in the church boycotted A Mighty Fortress Is Our God because it was too new. So I'm not going back to, to state glory day type of stuff, but I think one of the things that God's going to do as we step into a future together, hear me on this, is he's actually going to bring about some things, some glorious things from the past. Like, I love technology, and I love that we have technology, but I think there's something super sweet about gathering together as the people of God, flesh and blood. I think there's something super powerful about Yes, all of our programs and different things, but how rich would it be? As I shared with you, remember, did Ezra have to necessarily say, hey, come, I want to speak to you about the word of God? No, the people of God begged for Ezra to come and unpack the scriptures. And yes, let's read some good Christian books out there, but how about the best Christian book of all time? So let's maybe go a little old school vintage church. Here the people recognize a very old tradition, but they had not been practicing some very basic, fundamental, old school things as they were exiled. And here in this text, from the word of God, it compels them to jump back in. And notice, as they bring out some of these old traditions, what do they end up doing? It says... And there was great rejoicing. <laughs> oh, Rav, we sing some of the old hymns. We might not be so charismatic. Not according to this text. Verse 18. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. And it says, and they kept the feast Seven days, and on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. 
All right. I, I am praying as we move into the future, I am praying that the Lord would bring revival to our gatherings of worship right now. But I'm also praying for a Feast of Booths movement. So when we compel ourselves towards a potential decentralization of our people seeking the word of God, the first thing that we've got to live in is we've got to live in his law. We've got to live in his law. Now... In order to understand the Feast of Booths, or you might have heard this if you are a Bible scholar, understand the Word of God, the Feast of Tabernacles. This is taken out of Leviticus chapter 23. You can go study it on your own time. I know you're dying to dive into Leviticus this week. This was celebrated from the 15th to the 22nd of the 7th month. These people discovered these instructions on the second day of the seventh month. So the timing was perfect. Even the time in which they discovered this now gives them time. They have exactly two weeks to prepare for it. So the people get all the branches together, they get everything together, and they start to create these booths. Their celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles in this moment, as one commentary shares, was unmatched since the days of Joshua. Now, when we talk about living in his law, you can consider Nehemiah chapter 8. First of all, there was an intellectual response to the word. You can read about that in verse 1 through 8. There's the proclaiming of the word and the understanding of the word. All right? You're not going to fully be able to get to the application of the word until there is explanation of the word. And so we've got to dedicate ourselves, be people of the book, to study, to read, to ask, to have commentaries. There's so many amazing resources, and our church wants to help you with that. But how many of y'all know as well that when you have the word, when you're compelled to live in his law, it's not enough for you to know God's word here. you got to know God's word here. So there's not just an intellectual response to the word of God. We're praying if we're going to live in his law for an emotional response to God's word, for our passions to be transformed by the word. And so I can't just in my flesh get up and read God's word without asking and begging for the Holy Spirit to do some soul work through God's word in our hearts. I want this word to... Fillet my soul. Because I know if I could get not just the intellectual response to the word, but the emotional response to the word. Thirdly, what we'll find, and this is what we've just read, an active response to the word. So think about what the people of Israel have just experienced. Remember last week, I stood up, read the word, right? Had leaders around me. They're hearing the word. They're intellectually receiving the word. But then what follows that? Mourning, weeping, praying. So Ezra ministers to them and says, don't just weep about the past. This is not a solemn day. This is a day of great joy, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so there's a movement within hearts compelling people emotionally, to follow the passion that they have for the Lord, which then, because of that passion now, when they read Leviticus, and Leviticus says, go and find a bunch of palm branches and build a bunch of mini tents where you're going to go and worship me, they say, yes, Lord, yes. They say, yes, Lord, yes. So I'm going to tell you by way of default, when I see a lack of response or obedience where I'm going to keep disciplining myself based upon this text that I've studied this week is I'm going to keep preaching the word. And as I keep preaching the word, man, I'm going to do as much praying as preaching. Because I'm going to continue to ask the Lord for the Lord to not only make us hearers of the word, but doers of the word. God, may you and your word penetrate our hearts and so change our passions. So that as 
Lord Jesus, you give us assignments. We say, yes, Lord, yes. I've just given us a great outline for parenting. Maybe, and I'm putting me and Annabeth, maybe our kids aren't necessarily compelled to obey us because they're obeying us. I wonder what would happen in my own home if our kids understood that this was actually a word from the Lord. (laughs) This is why you are compelled to obey. So live in his law. Now, let me land the plane with this, and then I want to share a couple things. Live in his love. Live in his love. Do you know that if you fast forward way ahead, do you know that there is actually Jesus engaging in the Feast of Booths? In Nehemiah chapter 7, sorry, in John chapter 7, in John chapter 7, we find Jesus stepping up in the Feast of Booths. Now, let me share from this one commentary. The Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths, begins and ends with a special Sabbath day of rest. During the days of the feast, all native Israelites were to dwell in booths, to remind them that God delivered them out of the land of Egypt and to look forward to the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, who would deliver his people from the bondage of sin. This feast, like all feasts of Israel, consistently reminded the Jews and should remind Christians as well that God has promised to deliver his people from the bondage of sin and deliver them from their enemies. Part of God's deliverance for the Israelites was his provision and protection of them for the 40 years they wandered in the wilderness, cut off from the promised land. The same holds true for Christianity today. God protects us and provides for us as we go through life in the wilderness of this world. While our hearts long for the promised land, heaven, and to be in the presence of God, He preserves us in this world as we await the world to come and the redemption that will come when Jesus Christ returns again to tabernacle or to dwell among us in bodily form. And so in John chapter 7, if you look in verse 1, it says, After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go up to Judea because the Jews were not seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. And as Jesus steps into a time where the disciples are actually nervous because a lot of people are plotting to kill Jesus at this moment, these are the words of Jesus. Listen to this. In John 7, 38 through 30, 37 through 38, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up. And then I love this next description. And cried out. As people are rejecting him. He cried out. If anyone thirsts. Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me. As the scripture has said. Out of his heart. Will flow. Rivers of living water and for me the Lord's given me this picture I'm going to pray and then I want to share a couple things and then we'll close obviously some people had some really important lunch meetings at Wendy's today if you can hang with me just for a few more moments I believe that one of the things is God's calling us into our city is that as we go out, hopefully in these moments of worship, all right, hearing the word of God intellectually, emotionally being spurred on by the word of God, and then actively compelled with the word of God to go into our homes, to go into our schools, to go into our places in this world, and to set up feast of booths, 
I believe that as we go to not just go to church, but to live the gospel, serve the city, and be the church, I believe Jesus is going to bless that movement. And there's going to be a ton of people who are going to, as Jesus said, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And how many of you, church, want to believe that your friends, your relatives, your coworkers, your neighbors, the people in this city who are far from Jesus would taste and see that the Lord is good. Man, I want to believe in my heart. Let's pray for that right now. Build. Some of you are like, what are we building, Pastor Rob? I believe that as we've journeyed through Nehemiah, and I can honestly tell you we have prayed through and we have processed this with wise pastors, our leadership of our church, we believe that it is time to build. I want to remind us of a couple things, and it's on the screen behind me. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17 through 18, it says, Then I said to them, You see the trouble that we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build. Everybody say that. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. Stopping right there. Today is a day where God has told me to invite you, come let us build. Continuing on in the text. It says, and I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, will y'all read it with me? Let us rise up and build. One more time. Let us rise up and build. I'm going to be giving you a date at the end of July. Today I'm asking you, come let us build. I'm going to give you two months to pray for an intellectual, emotional, and obedient response to the word that God has told me to share with you. And I'm going to believe that in the end of July, we will come together united to say, let us arise and build. Now, it says, so they strengthen their hands for the good work. When we answer yes, church, when we obey the Lord, we're going to have a lot of fun strengthening our hands. I'm pretty pumped to see some of your spiritual biceps. Look at another text, because I don't want to forget about the possibility. It says in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15 through 16, So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul. In how many days? 52 days. We're going to take a 52-day journey this fall, if you say yes. I believe the Lord is going to use us in a powerful way to symbolically build the wall. When all our enemies heard of it, this is our prayer, and all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished by the incredible preaching of Pastor Rob Wilton at Vintage Church. How was this accomplished? with the help of our God. And I just believe, and whatever that is going to be, we're going to look back in the not-too-distant future and say, what a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. So, let me give you some specifics. Show the next slide. Today is June 12th. Today is an invitation to you, Vintage Church. Come let us build. On Wednesday nights, starting this Wednesday night, throughout June and July, we're going to have a midweek prayer time at 9 p.m. on social media. It's always going to be on Facebook Live or it's going to be on Instagram Live. And we'd love for you through June and July to join us. 
in prayer. What did we learn about the story of Nehemiah? Did he just hear from the Lord once and say, cool, I got it, Lord, peace? Every single day there was a pursuing of God. And so once a week we're going to continue to pursue God because we're going to always stay open to wherever God might lead us. But we're going to be praying and asking the Lord, okay, Lord, you've asked for us to come and build. Lord, we want to hear from you specifically, each and every individual here. And we want to listen to you and do what you say. How do we hear from the Lord? We've got to pray. So we're going to pray every single Wednesday night on social media. I've put this out there because I'm so excited about it. On July 10th, we are not gathering as a church here, but we are gathering downtown at Heinz Field. All the churches in Pittsburgh are coming together, Protestant and Catholic. And we are uniting together at Heinz Field to pray. I think it's an amazing thing that we as a church are in a season of prayer seeking God as we do this. Because I want you to know, we do not believe that Bennett's Church is the only church in town. We are part of a great, huge kingdom of God here in this city. And so on July 10th, join us. We won't be here on Sunday morning. We're going to actually share with you some details for those who'd like to come early the doors kind of open at 2, but it's really 1 to 4. The service is going to start at 2. Sorry, the doors open at 1. We might have a little tailgating area if y'all want to come and hang out, and we'll enjoy some lunch together, and then we'll go and pray together at Heinz Field. But that's going to be on July 10th. Go back to the slide. On July 31st, this is going to be the response of the church. Wow, that's two months from now. Yep. I'm going to ask for the Lord to do something in our hearts for two months. And I'm not interested in you guys listening to me. I'm not interested in us doing what we want to do. I pray that we would unite on July 31st here in this place and that we would all respond in unity as one man. Let us arise and build. And if we answer that call, we want you to know, and this is the big announcement, that we believe that the time is now. Some of you are going to be looking around saying, Rob, we're not that big. You sure about this? We believe that God has given us a gift in the resources, the properties, and the people, not only here at our PGH West location, but also downtown on top of Mount Washington at our PGH City location. And on that Sunday, I'm not sharing with you details of how it's going to go down, but we are going to have our church positioned, not just in one place in the city, but in two places in the city, which is positioned to multiply out many feast of booths in this city so that we can truly live the gospel, serve the city, and be the church. We all stand with me as we close in prayer for today. As we close in prayer, look on the screen, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 20. When the people were a little concerned, maybe this is a little too much for us. Rob, we don't have what it takes. We don't have enough resources. There was this beautiful reminder. Then I replied to them, the God of heaven, which by the way, if you didn't hear this today, he's a good, good father. The God of heaven will make us prosper. And we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Speaking to the haters. So what does this remind us of? And let's close in prayer with this. Go to the next slide. Why should we build? Let's go ahead and put them all up for me. Because God will make us prosper. Why are we taking two months to really seek? I want you to know, I've done the time. I've pulled away, and so has your leadership. And we truly believe at this stage, God has spoken to us to arise and build. Now we're bringing it before you and we're asking for you to spend time praying and fasting and seeking the Lord. Asking the Lord, some of you guys have just attended here. It's time for you to put your roots down deep here. 
In order for us to be able to execute what God's called us to, we need you every week to be committed with us. And not just attend, but serve. So we're asking the Lord to speak to you about whatever he needs to speak to you about. We believe that God's going to make us prosper. Why? Not because this is our idea, but because God has called us to it. And God is faithful. Secondly, God has commanded us to arise and build. At the end of the day, the only thing that I'm asking for you to ask the Lord is, what is it that you've called me to do? And here's just a good, you know, word of wisdom. Listen to Jesus and do what he says. But thirdly, because God is bringing us victory. And I know even with a pure heart, okay, I could be making a complete terrible decision here in the way in which we're going to go about living the gospel, serving the city, being the church. But do you know what I believe? No matter what we do is always going to happen, God will always continue to advance his kingdom through his church. The gates of hell will not prevail against Christ and his church. And I know that God is ready to bring victory for his church in this city. And so, Lord Jesus, as we close now in prayer, God, I thank you for your servants. I thank you for each and every individual that's here. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would so empower us by your Holy Spirit to listen to you and do what you say. So God, on this Come Let Us Build Sunday, may we take that invitation, that word from you, and take it to you and dive into God's word and enjoy a feast of booths moment with you. God, may you speak clearly to us. May you break our hearts for what break you, breaks yours. May you lead us in worship. And may ultimately, God, may we follow you. God, we pray that as a result of our journey this summer, as we continue to walk through your word and as we start to seek you on Wednesday nights, God, we pray that you would receive all glory and honor and praise. So God, send us out by your Holy Spirit to live the gospel, serve the city, and be the church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Grace and peace.